You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club, a home for those interested in international trade, shipping, procurement, logistics, and air freight. In fact, all things supply chain in the Americas, Asia, and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by your host, Mike King, and produced in partnership with Demurco Express Group, a global 3PL that specializes in managing logistics to, from, and within the Asia-Pacific region. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike King, and this is the Freight Buyers Club. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll also find all episodes ready to play at thefreightbuyersclub.com, where you can also subscribe to receive each episode direct to your inbox. Big thanks to Demeco Express Group as trailed. They really do connect Asia to the world better than anyone else. Today, I'm uh, thrilled to welcome to the Freight Buyers Club one of the true titans of container shipping. Over a 45-year career, he has been chairman of not one, but two of the world's biggest shipping lines, Evergreen and Yangming. In fact, he was vice president of Evergreen Group and chairman of Evergreen Shipping, and he was the chairman and CEO of Taiwan-based Yangming. And by common consent, he made an indelible imprint on both. He was front and center as Evergreen opened the world's first global east-west two-way route. We'll hear more about that later. He also helped Yang Ming emerge from a difficult financial period, turning losses into profits. He has won accolades from California to Shanghai, including a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Journal of Commerce. I'm truly delighted to welcome to the Freight Buyers Club the container shipping icon, that is Bronson Shi. Hello, Bronson. I know you don't do too many interviews, so thanks so much for coming on to share your thoughts. Well, thank you, uh, Michael. Uh, that's my honor to be invited to have a chat with you. I will try my best to answer the question you raise. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Bronson. Uh, Bronson, before we get your views on the future of container shipping and we hear how you got into this industry and a little about your storied career, I'm interested to know how you're seeing the here and now. Where would you say container shipping demand is right now, given the question marks over growth in the global economy and these many challenges that we're seeing? Okay, Mike, the, about these issues, my uh, response would be like this. Everybody knows that the relationship between the supply and demand is acting a very important role for any enterprise, including shipping industries. The supply growth ratios normally will be controlled by shipping carriers, but demand growth ratio largely depends on the global economic development. Everybody are so familiar. The past three years, because the reason outbreak of the uh, pandemic, COVID-19, second reason, because the uh, relief package implemented by most of the government, retaliatory uh, consumption happened, changed the uh, disruption of the supply chain. On the other hand, the uh, supply cost ratio because of the shipping company Based on the data from the upper niner, 2021, the demand growth ratio was 6.7%, while the supply growth ratio 
of those that get what's not so big. But point is, the supply cost ratio not true. The 4.5 percentage, the cost ratio not true because so many vessels or those under the so-called deployment, but probably most of the vessels were stuck outside of a port, including Chinese port, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Shanghai, Limpo, and European port, the worst happened in the United States. 2022, January 9th, there were one or nine vessels stuck up the gateway. Long Beach and the Los Angeles. Probably you don't have a search idea. You know, 109 vessel equalized 2% of a totally global redeployment number, 2%. In other words, the 4.5 gross ratio is not a two, maybe only 1% or maybe 0% increase in 2021. So that's the gap between 6.7 uh, uh, gross ratio compared in uh, su supply uh, uh, gross ratio, probably only 1%, 2%. That's the reason ocean freight has been pushed up to a uh, historic level. Shortage of the space, shortage of the container, shortage of the uh, truck, chassis, warehouse, that was the reason the ocean freight was so high. If you're talking about the uh, current uh, market development this year, because the uh, CPI, okay, due to these inflations from the last year, September, 11% uh, run up down to uh, January 6.4%. That means uh, most of the uh, consumer country, just like the uh, United States, UK, or Europe, they try to raise up their interest rate. So in order to reduce the CPI as part of as they can, they expect end of this year might down to uh, 2.2% or 3%, just like a European country and the UK. So if it is the case, plus the over eventually will be digest sooner later or as soon as possible, plus another important factor, just like Chinese government, they relieved the so-called restriction of the lockdown uh, policy, plus the possible stop between the, the war between the Russia and Ukraine. That will bring the good news for the shipping industries. The uh, first quarter is really not good at all. The second quarter, slightly better. And the third quarter this year, consider its tradition, the so-called peak season. I'm quite sure the last quarter this year, Probably will be better than the last quarter last year in terms of the violence to be increased. That is my perspective. So you think 2023 is going to improve as the year goes on and we're going to see a return to a more seasonal container shipping year. So a peak season in the third quarter. Are we getting back to normal? Is that what you're saying? Basically, yes. But the whole year, because I'm talking about the future development starting from the first quarter, second, so for just like escalators, it's going to be better because those kind of reasons I just mentioned earlier. So I think if what I say to be proved correct, just like if the war between the uh, Russia and Ukraine will be stopped, maybe sometime in the middle of these years or what, no doubt. The those kind of uh, the war stuff will uh, attract a lot of the uh, 
buying power for those European consumers. Because nowadays they spend too much money to pay those energy and the food. But if the, the world is going to be stuck, they can divert a part of their purchasing power to buy the uh, normal goods, the import from, from flies, which you will see uh, the Mediterranean service now, nowadays, ocean freight still quite uh, attractive, still quite good, because they don't spend too much money on high uh, the energy costs and the food. So they can buy still quite a lot of uh, cargo from flies. And the European will be changed if the uh, world is going to stop. If my uh, forecast is correct, then I think you are right. I think the, the, uh, the industrial will, will head in this direction. But overall, the uh, cargo demand this year will, is going to increase only 1.4%. But as I mentioned earlier, this uh, development like the escalator will be better, getting better. So uh, yeah, maybe the shipping company is going to be profitable or also has to depend on what the, uh, the whole development end up to a certain level. It's interesting you say that shipping lines are going to be profitable. The latest forecast that I've seen is we're looking at a collective profits this year of, of maybe 15 billion, 20 billion, which sounds tiny compared to the huge profits of the two previous years. I appreciate your point there that there is upside risk, I guess, or there's an upside with what's going on in Ukraine. Maybe if there was peace there that would give the global economy a big boost. But as you say, Alpha Line, a 1.4% reduced from 2.7% cargo demand this year. Let's look at that supply side then. Alpha Liner as well, their new building list at the end of last year, uh, it totaled 942 vessels, which was 7.5 million TEUs. We're looking at supply growth of 8.2% this year. How does that match up with that 1.4% on the demand side? Yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, that's uh, quite a uh, big gap between the supply growth ratio and demand growth ratios. I think the uh, shipping carriers they have experienced so terrible uh, well, the uh, the financial result during the past ten years. They know how to handle it. Such as since I also worked for the Evergreen and Yami, we have done quite a lot during the past. The first of all, in order to control our redundant capacity. I think they are going to do some kind of a meso, just like they are going to slow down the speed in order to add more or additional vessels, okay? And also, uh, they are going to lay up the vessels as possible as they can. For all the vessels, uh, in order to meet the requirement for IMO, probably they are going to retire some kind of old vessels, concentrate on those a vessel's age, more than 25 years. Those kind of 25 years vessels share about 3% in terms of a TEU, not vessel number. TEU almost shares 3%. If those 3% vessel is going to be retired or next year, then that's really will be very helpful to reduce growth ratios. Or, as a matter of fact, the alliance has adopted several uh, measures as they did before, they, well, they reload their vessel back from Europe. They don't go through Swiss Canada instead. They reload their vessel through the uh, cap of a good hole. In order to save, for the two purposes, they can save the dew 
But anybody who pass through the streets can they got to pay one million US dollars. But if they go through a couple of good hall, they just pay only maybe uh, 400,000 US dollars. On top of that, they can, because the distance is longer, so they are going to arrange one or two more additional vessels in order to digest their redundant vessels. So I think this shipping carrier is, is doing right now already. So why not just only February, maybe sooner or later, you will see the uh, supply cost ratio might uh, come down to a certain stage. But why not maybe too early to say that? But I think the uh, shipping carrier, I think they know how to arrange. As I mentioned earlier, supply cost ratio more or less will be controlled by shipping carrier. Should be easier than the uh, demand cost ratio. Demand cost is, is outside of a shipping carrier can control. So I'm quite optimistic the supply cost ratio will be changed. Just like maybe I talked a little bit earlier, 20, the next year, another additional new tenant, new new, new order are going to be delivered. But I realize I know one or two, the owner, the ship owner, not top 10, maybe top 20, already differ their new delivery from 2024 to 2025. In other words, they are going to uh, use every kind of way to reduce the uh, deliver tonnage within uh, this year and the next years. This podcast is proudly produced in partnership with DeMurco Express Group, a trusted provider of global shipping and contract logistics services in Asia, Europe, and North America. DeMurco's particular strength is in Asia, where it gives shippers the freight capacity and local market expertise to streamline freight movements to and from the region, particularly for trans-Pacific lanes. With 130 forwarding and logistics locations across China, India, and Southeast Asia, DeMurco connects Asia with the world like no other global 3PL. You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club. Brunson, Hanjin officially went bankrupt in 2017, but that build-up started in 2016. You've seen so many of these cycles in container shipping, and I want to come to your career in a moment, but is this the first one of those downsides of those cycles where container lines they've got this buffer because they've got these big profits from the last two years. Can you remember a time previously when that's been the case? Well, you see, basically, uh, you're right. The 2000, 2016, at August 31st, the Hanjin uh, declared bankruptcy. Okay. That's because the uh, supply growth ratio bigger than demand growth ratios. That was really bad. And also the other shipping carrier or one I need to share in terms of their financial result. But the case, if you are going to compare with the past two or two or three years, the shipping industry, the money they earn, I think those kind of money can allow them to stand for the market for quite a long term. That's my own observation. Plus, if some carrier, they don't place any new shipping orders, even they can last longer, even for the coming two or three years. Even the shipping industry is not in good shape. I think they can survive. That's interesting, Bronson. I want to come back to that imbalance in demand and supply. And I might want to ask you if we're going to have a rates war as well, which I'm sure people would be interested to hear about. And also, you know, what all of this means for shippers. But I think it'd be great for our listeners first to hear a little bit about your amazing career. What drew you to shipping originally? 
Yeah. Okay, come to my personal questions. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, because for uh, my own aspect, I think the uh, shipping industry is quite suited with my uh, personalities. I like this kind of exposure, even an opportunity to approach various kind of people, especially in the shipping industry, including the commercial business industry. Even a lot of uh, opportunity to know a lot of exporter, importer, and uh, also the uh, political person, also the economy persons in the world. I'm interested in this kind of direction. And luckily, uh, the first to join the Evergreen in uh, 1976 was quite lucky because Evergreen Group, and I'm only Evergreen Marine considers one of the best the shipping company, not only in Taiwan, but also in Asia. And there are a lot of opportunity to dispatch the calling to station overseas. And luckily, I was one of them. So I have a chance to learn a lot of cultural business and economy in six countries, which share me about the half of my 40 years career working in Evergreen. I joined the company at my age, 25 years. Then I retired at 65 years. When I reached the uh, retirement age, similar like government uh, employee. So I have only one job in the uh, so-called uh, golden age. The golden age for container shipping. I know you were located and you, you helped grow Evergreen's market in Germany, Britain, US. Hong Kong and, and China. What were the big highlights of your time at Evergreen? Well, I really quite, as I mentioned earlier, because of that meet my mentality, the, the, the challenge meet my mentality. I really, uh, uh, wow, so many challenges in front of me, but as a young man, so I think I can make it. So any consignment given by my company, I always say yes. I never reject. So, uh, Maybe that's one kind of my mentalities because I feel I can, uh, I have a such confidence to meet a such uh, challenge. Doesn't matter which countries. Those countries speak a different language. I go to the night nice school almost three times, two times every week. When I work in uh, Humboldt and Dusseldorf, I went to the school almost three times every week. So most important uh, I'm satisfied with the Sharia when I work for uh, Evergreen. That's, I think that's a fundamental reason for me to work for Evergreen. So uh, you, you'd like a challenge. I think we can take that as a, as a given. You finished your career at Evergreen Shipping after 40 years as chairman. And I guess, did you want another challenge and you thought you'd take on the same position at Yang Ming? Well, you are right. When I almost reached the end of my uh, working period in Evergreen, uh, before two months, I got the uh, invitation from the Ministry of Transportation. He said, hey, why don't you join with Young Min? At that time, I think I'm quite still quite energetic. I'm not so old. Uh, just only si 65 years. I really I don't like to waste my precious uh, experience staying in the room for uh, 20 years. So they say, okay, I can consider Give me three days to consider whether I'm going to work for chairman of uh, Yang Min. But next day, the minister asked me to have a break first with him. 
they would decide the next day right away. But in the beginning, really, I don't, uh, why no Yangmin? Because we are the two shipping carrier in Taiwan. But to be honest, I don't know so much about their financial status. But anyway, I, uh, once I say yes, then I'm going to uh, face the challenge of those. The 2016 the year, I joined with Yangmin. I realized later, they report to me, Yangmin is going to uh, lose maybe 50% of their, their capital. They are going to lose maybe uh, 500 billion US dollars. So I say no choice since I promise I will have to ask chairman. I think, uh, well, I, I faced the challenge anyway. But going back to that 2016 period when you took over at Yangming, that's also obviously when the problems at Hanjin became clear and it went bankrupt. There was a lot of stories back then that Yangming might be next on the chopping block, but you turned it round and made it profitable. God, please explain how. Well, when I joined uh, Yangming and the first few days, our finance guys and uh, the other business guy as my requirement to make the report, pre-report, to introduce the whole company's status. And of course, when they told me the company is going to lose money with 50% of their total capital, really I worry. But on the other hand, also I'm quite feel comfortable because I immediately realized what's the problem the company sit there, sit. So I know the problem, and I, uh, I think I can overcome this kind of problem. So then I remember that I talked to all our colleagues in the first room meeting. Uh, I told them, I know all the colleagues standing on the edge of the cliff. It's very dangerous. Anytime you will fall down. But I, as a chairman, I'm willing to stand together with you. Okay? fight together, but I need one thing from you guys. You got to support me. At the same time, simultaneously, I receive the very big echo collectively from our county. Yes, I do. <laughs> so we uh, check him and head in this direction, trying to overcome this kind of problem. Well, I can tell you the, uh, you, you just curious about how we are going to make a profit 2017. That was one strategy or was one way I did because I find out Elmin's base are always fully loaded. The speed, well, the ocean freight they generate even cannot cover their variable cost. That's the problem. Okay? So when I see this, then I realize this company I think I can manage. So I told them, you got to generate the, uh, the cargo, which ocean freight, at least you should cover the variable cost. If the customer, they follow you guys' sales representative's requirement to pay us more ocean freight, fine, to cover the variable cost. Yeah. We'll be very happy with taking it for those. This kind of revenue cannot cover a fixed cost, fine, because the market, we realized very tough, 2016. But if the customer would not agree to pay the reasonable ocean freight, we change the customer. We don't let him. I give the very 
strict requirement on we should change our customer. Okay. And by this kind of a, a strict requirement, I ask all the department globally should report to headquarters how many new accounts you generate weekly. I ask them can new accounts at the least on each country. Okay. I think they have done quite successfully. So gradually, those kind of the minus contribution for those revenue they generate getting less and less and less. So that's one of the most important reason. 2017, Yami start to make money. So Bronson, quite an achievement. Uh, you left Yangming in 2020. Just as the chaos descended really on container shipping, but a good chaos, I guess we could say, and we'll come back to that in a moment. What have you been up to since? Do you miss it? Well, I miss not the story experience, not only Yangming also Evergreen. I think that my blood is full of shipping. So, uh, yeah, of course I will miss, but we got back to reality. I'm getting older, so I need to uh, I retire. Also, I have a family member need me to, I want to say, take care of we show together because I work not only uh, Taiwan, also overseas for several years. My mother, when I was age, 98 years old, she is very healthy. And my wife need my uh, company uh, for the rest of our lives. So I decide to retire when I reach 69 years old. Well, you certainly don't look 69. I think with those sort of genetics, you've got many, many years left in you as well. Uh, I try my best. <laughs> and I know, Bronson, that you sit on a number of boards and you keep yourself quite bit busy and you're also uh, working as a consultant for the Mirko Express Group. Well, you see, uh, uh, Mr. Paul Chen is chairman of Dimeco. Paul Chen is my very uh, own lasting uh, good friend. And really, he, he touched my heart. Well, one year ago, when I published my own biography, um, he bought more than some hundred books to distribute to all his colleagues. And not only that, also uh, the book. They are about 9,000 words. I think he read each one of words carefully with making a lot of remark. So I am touched by his seriousness. So when he invited me to join the company as a consultant, if I can contribute some kind of good comment for him or for his company. So I finally I decided, yes, okay, I can uh, work as a consultant. You can hear part two of my conversation with Bronson next week when we discuss the future of container shipping, lessons learned from COVID, and whether a rate war is looming between carriers. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Freight Buyers Club, produced in partnership with the Demerco Express Group. Please subscribe and follow on your platform of choice or sign up for delivery to your inbox at thefreightbuyersclub.com. This podcast wouldn't have been possible without the fantastic editing of Karen Ball and Tom Matthews. And finally, thank you all for listening. The next episode will be with you soon.